So uh, this evening we're going to get into a specific, specific book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And before we get into that, we want to uh, just have a few comments on what the Bible is about. And the whole Bible, we'll see more this evening, the whole Bible reveals a person in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You may think mainly the New Testament, and that's true, but the Old Testament is full of this wonderful person. Do you know who this person is? It's Christ. You, you knew. This wonderful book reveals this wonderful person. It unveils Christ in so many ways. And it shows him in pictures. It shows him in types. It shows him as the center, as the focus of the whole Bible. And so this afternoon, we want to get into the book of Exodus. And we want to see this person in Exodus. And the title is, God's full salvation as seen in the book of Exodus. And like I was just mentioning, the Old Testament is all together concerning Christ. So here's a couple of verses out of the New Testament, which shows that when we come to the Bible and when we go to the Word of God, we need to come to this person. Because what is this book about? It's about this person. It's about Christ. So let's read Luke 24, 44. Let's read that together. And he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms concerning me must be fulfilled. Okay, the Lord mentions the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, and that's the, old, that's the whole Old Testament. And he says it's concerning me. Okay, the next verse, John 5.39, let's read that together. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify concerning me. Again, very clear. The Lord's talking to the Pharisees about the scriptures. And he's saying you search the scriptures. But what do the scriptures testify? They testify concerning him, concerning Christ. And then here's a really good principle here. And then he says, you're not willing to come to me. Well, the next verse says, come to me that you may have eternal life. So the principle is, whenever we come to this book, whenever we come to the Bible, we have to come to this person. Otherwise, in a sense, you're wasting your time. It's not a textbook. It's not a newspaper. It's not the, it's not the online internet blog. There's a person behind this, this word. So we need to come to him. So uh, Roman numeral two, let's read that together. The Old Testament is a picture book, and the New Testament is the explanation of this picture book. You all have heard a picture is worth a thousand words, and uh, it's very true. It's very uh, graphical, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the computer industry just for a couple minutes. And, uh, you know, computers have been around since... I think the 40s and the 50s. They had these supercomputers in the 50s and the 60s, crunching massive amounts of data and numbers and the government and it was involved and the computers were about from that wall to this wall, you know, huge computers that uh, did a lot of uh, things. But then something happened, you know, over time, eventually they invented the personal computer and uh, which was, you know, like a big thing like this. And anyway, you might've seen pictures of it. 
And uh, that was around in the, in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. But something happened in 1985. I was looking it up. Something happened in 1985. Up to that point, everything was words. Everything was text. Everything was, you know, like what we have on here. But something happened in 1985. What do you think happened? Windows happened. A graphical user interface, a GUI, was invented in 1985. Windows 1 came out. And uh, what happened was graphical, it just means pictures. All of a sudden, pictures got onto the computer. This totally revolutionized the computing industry. Actually, it totally revolutionized our lives. Because now, last October, they released Windows 10. And so now everything, everything is, is pictures. Everything is icons. Everything is graphical. It makes our life so much easier. So God, I guess God realized this. So in the Old Testament, it's full of pictures, full of, uh, of uh, pictures of, of the reality. And so you could say the Old Testament is like a, is the picture book, and the New Testament is the caption under the picture, like a cartoon. There's a cartoon, and it's got all kinds of things in there, and then there's the caption underneath the cartoon that makes the cartoon make sense. So in the New Testament, there's the reality, but in the Old Testament, there's the picture, but both in the old and the new is Christ. So now we're going to get into this book. Uh, well, sorry, let's get into 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4 and 6a. Let's alternate. Let's have uh, the brothers... Read verse 1, and we'll see something very interesting here. Because this is Paul, who's writing to the Corinthians, who are New Testament believers, but he's showing them a picture in the Old Testament, some pictures in the Old Testament. Okay, so brothers, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. Sisters, too. Okay, brothers. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Okay, this section is very unique because Paul is taking some pictures from the Old Testament and he's applying it to the New Testament believers. And then in verse 6, he says, Now these things occurred as examples to us. So what happened with the Old Testament uh, people of God, the Israelites, it actually happened. They went through the, in, they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud, in the sea. They ate the spiritual food. What was the spiritual food that came every day for 40 years? What was it called? Manna. They ate manna for 40 years. They uh, drank from the rock, the, the water that came out of the rock. And Paul, he was so bold eventually, you know, he realizes there's spiritual reality to all these pictures. And he says the rock was, look at that, at the end of verse uh, 5. And the rock, at the end of verse 4. And the rock was Christ. Wow. He's just flat out telling you, look, this picture is Christ. So the manna, what's the manna? You want the full explanation and definition of what the manna is? Read John chapter 6. It's amazing. It's so clear in that whole chapter. The Lord said, okay, the fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What happened to them? They died. 
He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the living bread. You eat of this bread, you'll live forever. So it's very clear. There's the picture. The New Testament is the reality. And Paul said, these things happened as, as examples to us, as types of what we're going through, of what we as the New Testament believers are going through is foreshadowed, is typified in the Old Testament. And so now we come to Exodus. So Exodus is a complete picture, again, of God's full salvation. So I think, I guess in the next few weeks, we're going to be spending some time in Exodus. And so here from A to E is an encapsulation of the whole book of Exodus, A through E. So let's just read those letters together. First, enslaved in Egypt, ate the Passover lamb, crossed the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness, and built God's dwelling place. So this is the whole overview of the book of Exodus. And uh, uh, the first part, enslaved in Egypt. I'll read that verse to you. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of labor in the field. All their labor with which they made them serve was with harshness. So they started out as slaves in Egypt. And you know how many years they were slaves in Egypt? Anybody? 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, a long time. But then they got out. And the way they got out was... There was two, a two-way, uh, there was a two-folded way they got out of Egypt. B is how they got out. Ate the Passover lamb. How about, uh, let's read Exodus 12, 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs. Okay, then how about the brothers, uh, the next verse. And the blood shall be a sign for you upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there's the picture. They ate the Passover lamb, and that strengthened them to get out of Egypt. Okay, here's the New Testament reality, which John the Baptist saw. John 1.29, let's read that together. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's one phrase in John 1.29, but you want the full exposition? Again, go to Exodus chapter 12. That whole chapter is a detailed picture of Christ as the Passover Lamb. It's really beautiful. Okay, then they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, let's read that next verse, uh, Exodus 14.22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Okay, this is the way they got out of Egypt. They ate the lamb, and they crossed the Red Sea. So that's the picture. So what's the New Testament caption under that picture? It's believe, receive the lamb, receive Christ. And what it, even Paul mentioned it in 1 Corinthians 10. He said when they crossed the Red Sea, that was a giant baptism. That was, the way, that was their way out of Egypt. There was no going back. After they ate the lamb and were strengthened to leave, then they crossed the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and all his armies, all the ones pursuing them, got buried 
in the Red Sea, it's quite an awesome picture of our salvation and our way to get out of Egypt. To get out of, the, well, we'll see what Egypt, Egypt signifies in a minute. And then, uh, sorry to say, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, it's interesting. You know why it was 40 years? It was because uh, it, it's like a three-day journey from Egypt, three to 11 days, depending on where you look. Three-day three journey from Egypt to the good land, to the land of Canaan. And God wanted to bring them into the land of Canaan. But, so what happened was they were there, and they sent, four, they sent spies. I don't know how many, 12 spies? They sent spies into the land of Canaan to search out the land and see what it was like because God wanted to bring them into that land. And uh, the spies came back, and two of them gave a good report and said, this land is awesome. You know, the grapes are like this, and... Let's go in right now and take it. And 10 of them gave what Paul called an evil report. They said, whoa, there's giants in the land. They have fortified cities. There's no way. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And so the, the people, they believed the evil report, and they said, no, we're not going. So God said, okay, since you believe the evil report, and by faith you weren't ready to go into the land, for every day that they were in the land, spying out the land, you'll spend a year in the wilderness. So 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, Lord. So uh, the next one, which is very positive, they did something positive in the wilderness. E, they built God's dwelling place. So let's uh, read Exodus 39, 42 through 43 together. According to all that Jehovah... did all the work and Moses saw all the work and there it was they had done it just as Jehovah had commanded so they had done and Moses blessed them I'll read the next one on the first day of the first month you shall raise up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting then uh, turn your page over again about the tabernacle Moses finished the work the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Jehovah filled the tabernacle. Okay, that's the picture. Actually, Exodus ends very positively. At the beginning, they're in slavery. At the end, they built God's dwelling place, and he filled it with glory. So the New Testament reality, John 1.14, uh, let's read that together. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Again, and then Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So basically, uh, the picture in the Old Testament for God's dwelling place is the tabernacle and the temple. In the New Testament, it's first Christ as the tabernacle of God, where God was dwelling. And then later, it's the enlarged uh, Christ, which is just the church, the house of the living God. Okay, so now we're going to spend the rest of our time on, I guess, the main point of tonight's fellowship, and that's to see the first point related to the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, and that is that they were in slavery. Oh, Lord. So Exodus begins with God's chosen people enslaved in Egypt. So Exodus 111, let's read that together. So they set taskmasters over them, to afflict them with their burdens. And they for Pharaoh, Python, and Ramses. Okay, I'm going to go back to that 
verse on the first part of your outline, enslaved in Egypt. And basically, they were in slavery. They were making bricks. They were making uh, treasure cities for Pharaoh. And all of this has a significance. So I think we're all pretty clear by now that everything in the Old Testament was a picture or a type of the New Testament reality. So the Old Testament picture of Egypt was that Egypt represents something, and Egypt re represents the world. And it's interesting, there's three different uh, categories of the world in the Old Testament. One of, one of them is uh, the religious and rebellious world, signified by, by Babylon. And then the other representation of the world is the evil and sinful world, signified by Sodom in Genesis. And Egypt signifies the material riches the prosperity, the enjoyment, the pleasure of the world to make a living, you know, Egypt. They went down to Egypt because they needed food, and uh, they ended up being there 400 years. But God, God wanted, he didn't want them enslaved in Egypt. He has a purpose. He has a desire. He wanted a dwelling place. In fact, many times he told them to tell Pharaoh let my people go that they can come to me and hold a feast unto me. He wanted to get them out of Egypt so they could build his house and that he could dwell among them. While they were in Egypt, he couldn't be with them. He couldn't dwell with them. And so eventually he got them out by eating the lamb and by crossing the Red Sea. So the picture is Egypt is the world, but it's in the world of the way of like I just said, material riches, prosperity, making a living. And then so Pharaoh, he was the ruler. He was the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh, who does Pharaoh signify? Satan. He signifies God's enemy who is against God's people, who wants to grind them to powder. And so one of the tactics of the enemy, of God's enemy, Satan, who is typified by Pharaoh, is that he wants to put God's people into slavery. And it's real interesting because, you know, we all need to make a living. And we all need to, quote, use Egypt to get our provision, to get our sustenance, to, to make a living, okay? But we have to be careful not to be occupied or enslaved by the necessary things that we need to do to make a living. Otherwise, we're no good for God's purpose. You know, as I was getting into this, I was realizing God is very jealous for our time. You know, he wants our time. He, uh, he, of course, he wants you, but practically, he wants your time. And uh, I was considering, you know, I was looking into this a little bit. Uh, you know, Chick-fil-A, you know that company? They, uh, they're, closed, they're closed on Sundays. And uh, they've been around since 1946. I looked it up. And uh, when they first started out, from day one, they said, we're not going to be open on Sundays. We want to we give everybody a day off to rest and worship God if they choose to do so. That's their philosophy. And they, they also said, this is another quote, it's not about being closed, it's about how we use the time. So, there's my time. No. <laughs> it's, it's real interesting. So, this applies to us. You know, in the Old Testament, it's interesting. 
you know what the day that they used to, you know, honor God and not do anything, basically? It was the Sabbath. And uh, this is crazy, but a brother, he was enjoying this uh, verse the other day, and he sent out a text. He said, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath of complete rest a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. Wow. It's a good thing we're in the New Testament. Because <laughs> some of us have to work on Sunday. I mean, that's kind of the transition to the New Testament. Some of us, some brothers work on Sunday. They can't avoid it. Some people do. I mean, part-time, full-time. But the principle is, what do you do with your time? And uh, also read, you know, Chick-fil-A, you know how much they lose? It's estimated how much they lose in sales per year? $1 billion. $1 billion. They lose that much in sales. But they're, they don't care. They, they said, hey, we're taking the day off. So, and then here's another one. I got a text this morning from a brother. We we're going back and forth about something. And he's in another locality. And uh, I texted him. He said, Thanks, Tom. I'll be going nonstop today until probably 11 or 12 tonight. Wow. Sounds like a slave. <laughs> the Lord. It's, it's interesting. You know, hopefully the Lord could open our eyes a little bit. You know, some of us may have an aspiration to be a medical doctor, which is great. I love doctors and airline pilots because I realize there's no way I can do anything in that realm, and I really appreciate those people so much doctors and other professions that, you know, anyway, medical doctors, very esteemed, they make a lot of money, they're very useful in society, but boy, I tell you what, you think about it, they're a, they're a slave, most of them, not all of them, if you can manage your situation well, but some of the doctors I know, they've got a thing on their, they got a thing like this on their belt, it's a pager, and that pager can go off any time, and they have to respond, what is that? To me, that's, that's a slave, oh Lord. But I, uh, don't get me wrong, I appreciate the doctors and the, <laughs> very much and the airline pilots. But what I'm trying to tell you all is, you know, you all are here getting an education, hopefully you get a degree or a graduate degree and you'll get a good career and you'll make real money, you know, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Just don't let that thing control you and come under its power so you don't have any time for the Lord's purpose. I was, uh, uh, I graduated from UTA years ago, and I had a job interview, my first really good job interview, and they, they basically offered me the job. It was at a hotel in Arlington, and uh, I was going to be like a steward in the hotel organizing events and banquets and stuff. And, uh, and, and, but the only problem was their main times that they had the banquets was Wednesday evening and Sundays. And I was just coming into the fellowship there in Arlington and really enjoying the Lord. And the main times the brothers and sisters got together there in Arlington was Wednesdays and Sundays. And so as I was leaving the interview, he basically offered me the job. And I said, well, let me consider it. And I said, I need to talk to my dad about it. And he said, well, you talk to your dad and you let me know. And so I left that place and I was going, oh, Father, oh, God. <laughs> and I was clear. I couldn't take that job. So eventually, you know where I ended up working? Putt-putt. 
kind of a downgrade, you know. But within a year, I got a real job and a real career and all that in uh, programming, uh, computer programming, and I've been doing that ever since. And you would not believe how flexible and wonderful that has turned out to be, you know, as far as meeting the need and having time for the Lord and for His purpose. So I, I'm very thankful for that. So even though sometimes, you know, you have to work a lot of hours, just depending on the situation. In the, the one week where I worked the most hours of my life, you know how many hours I worked? 100 hours. I was getting close. And actually, I think I was talking to Dan Strange, and he said, brother, go for it. Go for it. I was, I was getting close to 100 as we were trying to get something done, you know, at work. And so anyway, I was getting paid by the hour, though. So, so that was good, right? <laughs> so anyway, be careful with this thing called the world with Pharaoh. Be careful how you handle it. I mean, we all have needs and necessities, and we all have to provide, but don't go, don't come into slavery. God is jealous for our time. So that's the first aspect of uh, Israel. They were, oh Lord, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, but eventually they got out. <clears throat> 